Would you just join me in prayer as we start this morning into the Word? Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you so much that you are a God of intention, a God of purpose. I thank you, Father, as your Word says time and time again, the plans that you have for us. And I pray, Lord, as we move into this year, that our passion, our desire would be to know you, to know your will, which is good and pleasing and acceptable, Lord. That, Lord, we just have that sense of purpose and deliberation, Lord, that, that sense of deliberateness, rather, Lord, and of fruitfulness that would carry into this new year and begin to characterize our lives. So give us ears to hear what your spirit would say this morning as we look at your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last Sunday, we introduced uh, our theme for 2017, which is live on purpose. We lost one Sunday with the snow through the first part of January, but uh, that was our theme we introduced last week, live on purpose, and we're calling 2017 our year of intent. And what we've been talking about actually even before Christmas is that what uh, purpose has to do with, or intentional living, is intentional living is actually what creates room in your life for what God wants to do. How many understand that if you just kind of live life haphazardly, it just gets filled up with a lot of stuff? It gets cluttered, it gets distracted, it's not really that purposeful. And so the Lord wants us to create space in our life that he's able to make room for those things that actually give meaning to our lives. And so to live on purpose, we shared, is to live less out of habit and just empty routine and actually more with intent. Because as we all know, and you've probably learned by now already, a few weeks into January, good intentions will never get you where you want to go. A lot of good intentions. What gets us where we want to go is actually intentional living. And I believe that intentional living comes from not just discipline, though discipline is part of that. Intentional living comes from direction. Intentional living is realized by people who live God-directed lives. You know, if there's one thing I've learned in many years of ministry, but just walking this earth, living in different provinces in Canada, having a chance to visit a, a, a number of different countries around the world over the years, one thing I've learned is this. The world, generally speaking, is enslaved. People are enslaved. People are slaves to their past. People are slaves to bad memories. People are slaved by expectations of others. People are slaved by lust. People are enslaved by by pride, by materialism, by stress, by fear, you name it, people are enslaved. I don't know if, if some of you are old enough to remember Bob Dylan back in the years when he was uh, singing Christian music, but one of the songs he used to sing was, you got to serve somebody. Uh, we used to play that all the time in our, in our, in our dorm in college. you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And, uh, and really, that's what is true of our world today. Everybody is serving somebody. Everybody is enslaved to something. And that's just as true, I believe, for professing Christians as it is for those who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of times we sing about it and we proclaim that we're free. But I'll never forget what a retired pastor told me just a few years ago, a man I have great respect for, but I was very surprised when he said that. He said, Paul... He said, I'm retired now. I was 40 years in the ministry. And if there's one thing I've become convinced of after 40 years of pastoral ministry is that people generally don't change. I, it really took me back. Didn't sound too optimistic. I've learned in 40 years of ministry, people basically don't change. And as I thought of that over the years, the last few years, I thought, you know, he's not that far off the mark because what I think he's saying is this is generally for a lot of Christians, and I'm speaking again in the, in the North American context, for a lot of Christians, what we actually see after salvation 
is we see more of what I would call a behavioral modification. We don't really see fundamental changes in the way people think, in, in the way people react, in, in, in their issues of the heart, issues of relationship, issues in how we respond to things. We don't see a lot of believers who actually change in a way that Jesus Christ is becoming more and more present in their lives. Does that make sense? So we are quick to adapt to a lifestyle, certain things we don't do or at least don't get caught doing, certain things we do change that, we, that aren't too much of a big deal perhaps, but really the presence of God in our life is not increasing as the Lord intends. And I wonder why that is. And I was thinking about it this week, I believe it's for one reason. If I was to ask you why it is, maybe you would come up with a, a list of sins or different things that have crept into the church or maybe the different way we do church nowadays or whatever. A lot of those things I think could be symptomatic. But I really believe the number one problem in the church today is simply this. It is biblical illiteracy. Biblical illiteracy. People of God do not know the Word of God. Generally speaking, do not read the Word of God. I believe, and I don't want to sound unkind in saying this, but, but I really believe that for the average Christian today, they know absolutely nothing about God. They know nothing about Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible. In fact, I'd go a step farther and say this, that almost everything you know, you know because of somebody else. Almost everything you know about God, about Jesus Christ, you probably know because somebody else taught you, somebody else told you. I heard a man say one time, well, as the Bible says, cleanliness is next to godliness. The Bible doesn't say that. John Wesley said that. Or one of my favorite ones is, well, God helps those who help themselves. Ben Franklin said that. In Poor Richard's Almanac, which he wrote under the pseudonym, Ben Franklin said that Jesus didn't say that. It sounds nice, but he didn't say that. Some Christians actually believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Because they don't know the Bible. They are biblically uninformed. People just don't know the Word of God. And what they do know, they know from somebody else. Is that an exaggeration? What most Christians know today, they know from somebody else. You know, on a couple of occasions, I've had people say to me, Pastor, I disagree with what you said this morning. And I'll say, oh, interesting, why? Well, because Pastor so-and-so on TV said this. I've got a lot of respect for certain television preachers, but to be honest with you, friends, I could care less what they say if it disagrees with me, if that's why you believe it. What I want to know is, why do you disagree? I want to know, what have you learned in the study of the Word yourself that would maybe be different than what I believe? Then we can have a discussion. Beyond that is just opinion, which doesn't matter a whole lot. We can talk about the Word of God together. We can learn from one another. You see, one of the reasons I believe there's so much dysfunction and ineffectiveness in so many Christian lives and homes today is because for so many, our faith is based upon a secondhand revelation. It's somebody else's insight. It's somebody else's nugget, their treasure that they're glad to share, and that becomes what you hold on to. Fewer and fewer Christians today receive first-hand revelation anymore. I, I so admire believers who go through difficult times, but they actually hold on to Jesus. 
They actually get driven into the Word of God and they come away during that time of testing and that time of fire as the Word of God says God will use to make you come forth like gold. You'll have real treasure, real nuggets, something you can say, this is mine. You see, there's all the difference in the world when you're talking to a Christian and they're just spouting off something somebody else said. Now, it may be interesting what they said, but I'll tell you this, you know when it's real to the person who's talking to you because it's not just an opinion. It's not just a nice thought. There is weight to it. There's weight. There's conviction. There's something in your heart that says, yeah, that's true. It doesn't just appeal to the mind, it appeals to the heart because you know this truth has been forged in the crucible of difficulty. And I have some people that I so admire in this church. They're not always on the platform, they're not always prominent, but I have been on the sidelines watching them work through things in their walk with Jesus Christ and they have come through things and they have learned things in God. They have a testimony that they can share with you because they didn't just spout off nice little you know, words and cliches and jargon, and when push comes to shove, they fall away because it doesn't last, but they pressed in, and God has spoken to them, and they have learned things, and they have changed, and they actually have a story to tell. They actually have ministry to give to others. Friends, there are at least a hundred wrong answers for every decision you make every day. There's only one right answer. And the reality is, as you walk through your day on your own, you have a very slim likelihood of actually choosing the right thing. Because there's just so many options out there. So many of your own options, your own feelings, so many things people will tell you to do. Your chances of choosing aren't very strong unless you learn how to choose what God has said. Jesus said this, we know the scripture well, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The only question is, do you want to know the truth? Not everybody does. The question is, do you want to make right choices? If Jesus, if Jesus said, if you do, then here's the key. You have to want to know truth. And I am the truth. There is only one way I believe to know him. You may have accepted Jesus, that is, you may have heard the gospel presentation, what Jesus did for you, that makes sense. Yes, that solves my problem. I accept what Jesus did. But don't ever confuse accepting Jesus with knowing Jesus. It's not the same thing. We can pray a simple prayer of faith and be translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and we can live the rest of our Christian life never knowing the Savior, never really having a relationship with Him. From Jesus' own lips... Here is how you know that you know him, John 14. Those who know my commands, my word, and what? Obey them are the ones who love me. And my Father will love those who love me, and I will love them, and what? Show myself to them. Friends, Jesus can be many things to you. We all have different stories. We all have different testimonies. We all have different things that are very special to us about Jesus Christ. He can be many things to you, but here's the one thing he cannot be. He cannot be moderately important. He can't be that if you are a child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is either who he says he is, and you surrender to him in worship and obedience, or Jesus is just what everybody else in culture says, good guy, good teacher, may even be the son of God, but obedience to him is optional. 
two different lifestyles. I want to show you a short video. I don't usually do this, but it really kind of struck me. It was, it was kind of a funny video that Ben showed me uh, this past week. I think the youth watched it on Wednesday night. And uh, this guy, I would say, is a secular preacher. You'll know what I mean when you hear this. Kind of comical, but makes some incredible points that I think really are profound when you think about them. His name is Pete Holmes, and uh, I'm going to show you. Hopefully it works out okay. Enjoy this. I have no idea what that last song is he mentioned, so hopefully it wasn't a bad song. But uh, listen to what he said. Knowing feels exactly like not knowing. So life is meaningless. There's no mystery, and there's no wonder. Think about that. Knowing feels exactly like not knowing. I want you to think about that and ask yourself as a believer, have I ever experienced that in my walk with Christ? Maybe I feel that way now. I know, but I don't know. All the knowing I have, Sunday after Sunday, surrounded by uh, Christian activity, Christian friends, ministry, sermons after sermons, I know, but it feels like I don't know. Anybody relate? I know, and yet I don't know. It just feels the same. I know a lot about God, 
but I don't really have any confidence in God. I, I sing the worship songs to the Lord, but when I leave here, I don't really serve the Lord. It doesn't translate into the marketplace. And if I'm honest, what I know about God, it just feels a lot like not knowing at all. There's no mystery in my walk with Christ. There's no wonder. There's no captivation. There's no sense of awe. There's nothing that's really meaningful. Psalm 107, David writes, He satisfies those who are thirsty. And He fills the hungry heart with good things. Will you say that with me? He satisfies those who are thirsty. And He fills the hungry heart with good things. What does that mean? I believe it means very simply that truly knowing God is a product of hunger. It's a product of thirst. Really knowing God encapsulates and is a product of wonder and of mystery. When I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, most of us probably think that we really know those who are closest to us. For those of us, for example, married for any period of time, we probably think that we really know our spouse. But I want to suggest to us this morning, whether it's your spouse, child, best friend, family member, whatever it may be, you probably don't know them like you think you do. You see, what we usually know about a person is we know their mannerisms, don't we? We, we know some of their likes and dislikes. If we have shared common experience with them, then we kind of know some things we've gleaned from that. We've got some stories that we can talk about, that we can laugh about, whatever, and we think we know them. After 30 years of marriage, there are a lot of things I know about my wife, Vanessa, in the sense of things that she enjoys, things that she doesn't enjoy, things that make her happy, things that may, may bother her a little bit. I, I even have a pretty good idea in a given situation when something is said, I have a pretty good idea maybe what she is thinking or maybe what she is going to say. You know what I'm talking about, folks? You're married. You, you kind of know what they're, you know, a certain trigger word is going to bring up this story or that story or, or something like that. You're familiar with that because of all the time that you have been together. But if I'm really honest this morning, and maybe a little bit transparent, I would have to admit that Vanessa could probably still, after these 30 years, look at me and say, Paul, you know me, but there's things you don't really know about me. Does that make sense? You know me, but you don't really know me. That's a hard thing for anybody to admit to be married for any period of time, but I have no problem saying it because it's true of all of you. If you're married 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 60 years, it doesn't matter. If your spouse was honest, they could look in your eyes and say, you know what, there's things you don't know about me. There's certain things I don't bother with. There's things I've given up on. Not necessarily bad things, but certain dreams, certain things I would prefer, but I just know you're not wired that way, or I know that, you know, that's just not kind of how it's been the last number of years, so it's probably not going to be, so I've learned to be happy without it. I've learned to kind of settle for whatever the case may be. But there are things about us that we would really love in a deeper way for our spouse or our loved one to know about. I don't know when the last time was I ever sat down with Vanessa in a quiet place and I just simply said, honey, just tell me something about you that I don't know. Tell me something about you that maybe I've taken for granted. Tell me something that maybe I assume, but it's not something that you're happy with, or there's something else that you would prefer, or there's something you would like to do, or some different way you'd like to see our life moving forward from here, whatever the case may be, maybe something I've taken for granted. 
You see, no matter how much you care about that person, there are still things about them that you don't know. Because somewhere along the relationship, whoever you may be, friends, we all do it. Somewhere along the relationship, we begin to lose that sense of mystery and of wonder. We grow accustomed to that person's presence. We grow accustomed to their company in our lives, and we love them with all our hearts, but we miss the benefits of an ever-deepening relationship because we grow accustomed to one another. That person's just, they're there. In fact, that's why sometimes there is regret when a person loses a loved one. It's not just because that emptiness in their life, but all the things I wish I had told them, the things I wish we had done together, whatever, but we always assume that they're just there. I believe that every relationship begins to lose meaning when it comes to the place where knowing feels a lot like not knowing. And what I mean is that we begin to lose that sense of discovery, of investigation, of conversation, of communion that actually brings us, the Scripture says, that sense of deep calling on to deep. That as we know and we enjoy and we grow in a season, we look forward to going deeper and deeper and deeper in that person and that person in us and we miss out on so much. Well, how do we counter that in a human relationship? I believe one of the primary ways we do that is we learn to identify and eliminate distractions. And we begin to give priority again to that person God has given to us. We begin to give priority again to discovering them. It might sound like a corny thing. It might sound like a silly thing. And I'm sorry, guys, some of you are going to go home today and you're going to have a conversation that you didn't want to have. And I probably will too because of this morning's message. But the reality is we need to come to a place of saying, you know what, if we honestly look at our lives, there's a lot that we take for granted. And there's a lot of distractions in our lives. Can we just push some of those aside and actually decide how we're going to discover one another again? How we're going to, to grow deeper in our relationship and really draw out of one another those things for which God has brought us together. You know, research has found that one in four car accidents today are not caused because drivers are incompetent. They're not caused because people did not go through driving tests or take safety course or have their license. One in four accidents today are caused because people are distracted. They're distracted. And as we all know today, those, that distraction comes in the form of texting while driving, as we see in this next picture. Some of us have probably been witness to some of these tragic accidents, uh, driving along car on car, or as this uh, picture indicates, uh, maybe just even not paying attention and slamming into a tree and at a young age losing your life because of distractions. I kind of like what this next slide says, a, a church sign. This is a good message to heed. A lot of truth in that. Distraction is the cause of a lot of accidents. Distraction can also be the cause of a lot of accidents in our relationships. And I believe it's the same in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Friends, I want us to understand this morning, there's not one of us here today who has to live in the grayness of our spiritual life where knowing and not knowing is the same. None of us have been destined to that. None of us, are, God does not look down on any of us and say, you're more uh, spiritually inclined than you are, so you're going to get more than this person is, friends. Every single one of us are number one sons and daughters of God. We have access into the presence of God in a relationship with Him through His Word and by His Spirit. All of us have the exact same invitation. 
We may have different IQs or whatever, however that may relate, but God has made an open path for every one of us into his presence, and this is his promise to every one of us. Would you read it with me? When you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. That's God's promise to you. If you will search for me with all of your heart, push aside the distractions, I promise you, you will find me. And as another scripture says, what you'll discover as you begin to press in, you'll discover I'm not far away. I am not far off. I am close to you. Where that search begins is in the word of God. The Bible is God's love letter to us. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in this translation. He says, God's word is alive and working and is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones, and it judges our thoughts, the thoughts and feelings of our heart. What is the Bible saying of itself? When you begin to open this living word of God to you, it will go to the very heart of your being. It will cut through all the stuff all the lies, all the deception, not just your sin, but the lies of the enemy to your soul. The word of God will penetrate through all of that. Truth will shine upon your heart and you will commune with God. He will talk to you. You will hear his voice. The apostle Paul said, we know it well in Timothy, all scripture is God breathed. It's inspired by God and it's useful for teaching. It's useful for showing people what is wrong in their lives. That's not God saying he's using the word to beat you over the head for what's wrong in your life. He's saying he's going to show you the things that are dysfunctional. He's going to show you the things that are holding you back. He's going to show you the things that are an impediment to your relationships with your loved ones, with those who matter most. He's going to show you the schemes of the enemy and how you can move in a different way, how you ought to think and live and behave so that the enemy will no longer be able to enslave you. It's good for correcting faults and for teaching you how to live right. We're talking about living on purpose. And if we're really going to live on purpose, we have to discover our purpose. We have to discover the purpose of God for our lives each and every day. We have to decide that we're going to grow in the Lord. And if that is going to happen, we have to begin to walk in the primary way that God shows us these things, and that is in the word that he has given to us, that he has protected down through the ages from destruction because it's so valuable and necessary for every believer's life. And if you're not reading the Word of God this morning, I understand that. I understand how easy it is to be distracted. I know what it's like, my friends. I'm no more spiritually inclined than you are. I know what it's like to say, you know what, I've, the, the day is busy, but I'm just going to spend some time with the Lord to bow my knee and right away, oh, i got to call so-and-so. Oh, i got to do this. i got to do that. I'll come back, Lord. I know what that's all about. I know sometimes it's not easy to take the time to read the Word because there's so many other things that you may think. But we've got to stop believing the lie that other people are more inclined than we are. That's not true. If the fact is other people simply begin to understand the necessity for God's word for direction in their life and begin to cut things out to make it a priority for however long it takes. Now, now if you're struggling with kind of reading the word, can I suggest to you one way to get into the word is to simply follow a Bible reading plan. If you're not sure where to go, what to read yourself, then find a Bible reading plan. There are a bunch of them online. There's a Bible app at Bible.com, I think it is, the U version. That's one of the ones that we use here at Glad Tidings. We're using a slightly different one this year. If you go to our home page, you'll notice about halfway down that uh, 
there's some scripture that are there, and you can follow along. You're saying, well, Pastor, we're already January 22nd. We have a picture there, Amanda, I think, of the webpage. We're already, you know, January 22nd. Friends, you're going to read the Bible through the year. You don't just start on January 1st. You can start on January 22nd, and then next year on January 22nd. Don't let the devil throw you off. But find a Bible reading plan and begin to read the Word of God in a regular, systematic way. And I love the way that some of these plans are laid out. We're following Nikki Gumbel's uh, Bible plan. On the next slide here, you'll see um, if you go into a Bible app or if you look on, online, uh, Nikki Gumbel, of course, the creator of Alpha, and he has it laid out in a beautiful way. You're reading about three chapters a day. And if you read those three chapters a day, you will get through the entire Bible in one year. Now, you may say, well, Pastor, I can't read three chapters. Okay, well, start with one chapter. That's fine. Start with one chapter. God's Word is still alive. Well, I can't read a whole chapter. Start with a verse. Throw me a bone. Just start with a verse or two, and what you'll discover is hunger for Word of God and truth will begin to rise up in your heart, and you read more and more. In fact, I encourage you, for those who are reading through the Bible plan, that's wonderful, keep doing that, but there's times where God's calling you away just to come and sit down and read His Word, and you may read 10 or 12 chapters at a sitting because of something the Lord wants to show you, but get into a Bible reading plan. Now, having said that, take a guess of how long you need to spend reading the Bible each day to get through the entire Bible in one year. Because I know some of you are thinking, I just don't have time. You know how long it takes? I'm not a fast reader. I'm kind of one of those ones who read frontward and backward. You know, you ever do that? You open a book, I've read this line five times, what am I doing? Okay, I'm not a fast reader. It takes about 10 minutes a day. That's it. 10 minutes a day, you'll read through the Bible in one year. In fact, if you're really ambitious, you know how long it takes at an average pace to read the Word in, entire, in its entirety? It takes about 72 hours. That's it. From Genesis to Revelation, you can read the entire Bible in 72 hours. So to give you just an idea, that is, you know, you can read it through once a year. If you, read, if you like reading, you can read through five times a year. Ten minutes a day. Who of us does not have ten minutes a day? Don't raise your hand. I will smack you. I will. I'll just come down and slap you, okay? Who of us does not have ten minutes a day, okay? Good answer. No, Greg, sit down. Don't hit him. <laughs> Knowing God, hear me, friends, it's not about aptitude. It's not. We just have this diabolical lie in our brain that, you know, I'm just not cut out the way. I'm not wired that way. I look at so-and-so, and they're more spiritual. I look at so-and-so, whatever. Knowing God is not about aptitude. It's about appetite. That's all it is. It's about appetite. He satisfies those who are thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. All you need to do is begin to identify, and you know these already because the Holy Spirit is showing you. You need to identify and eliminate distractions that seek to wreck your faith because that's what they do. Here's what James says. He says, come near to God and what? God will come near to you. It's that simple. The rest of the verse goes on to say this. Clean sin out of your lives. You who are trying to follow God and the world at the same time, make your thinking pure. Ties into what Romans says. Let your mind be renewed by the word of God. You're trying to follow the world, trying to serve God, trying to do all the things. Look, let the word of God get inside of you and clean you out. I was talking to a pastor friend. His name is Mike. 
a couple of days ago, and he was talking about how he was driving in the car with his son. His son's at university, and uh, they're driving along, and his son just mentioned him in the course of the conversation. He said, Dad, just want you to know, because he's going to a secular university. He said, Dad, just want you to know, I've met some Christian guys in the university, and we have made a pact. We have made a promise together. We are going to read through a Bible reading program uh, separately, but we're going to keep each other accountable, and we're going to make sure we read through the Bible in one year. Now, how many parents having you know, young adults going to the secular university would not be happy to hear that? Hey, our kids are in the Word every single day. And, and Mike said, well, that's, that's wonderful, son. He said, how's it been going so far? Great, Dad. Haven't missed a day. He said, well, that's great, son. What, what's God been showing? What's he been speaking to you about in your readings? And he said, my son looked at me puzzled and said, what do you mean? I'm just reading my plan. <laughs> I've done well. I've read three chapters a day. And Mike said, no, you're missing the point. Yes, read the Word, but the purpose in reading the Word is that you get to know God. You get to know His heart. You get to hear Him speak to you. Your, your life begins to be shaped by the Word of God. That can be us sometimes as well. If you're not reading the Bible, I want to encourage you to begin to read your Bible. Because if you're not reading the Bible, you will know about God, but you will never know Him. If you're not in the Word of God, systematically, if you're not giving God an opportunity to speak to you, you will always be, as a Christian, a professing believer in this grayness of knowing where your knowing always feels like not knowing. In fact, if you don't know God's Word, it's impossible for you to understand how to live it out. And if you're not living out God's Word, I hesitate to say this, but I think it's true. If you're not living out God's word, you are not a follower of Jesus. And that's in the Bible, in case you're wondering. If you obey my teaching, you are truly my followers. Ben Franklin didn't say that. Okay? Jesus said that. He said, the one who is my follower is the one who understands my word and who actually puts my word into practice. That's one of the reasons why we encourage you, number one, to be in the Word, start there. But even if you're starting with one verse a day or one chapter or you're going through the Bible in a year, this is why we encourage you to journal. Now, you don't have to actually technically journal. What journaling means is that as you read through your Bible, you're jotting down in a journal something that stood out to you. You're writing out a verse or two, why, so that you can come back and look at that, and you can also think of how I'm going to apply this, how I can pray about this being a reality in my life. You'll, you'll see that on our, on our info hub, on our webpage, on the info hub, you go under there, there's the SOAP reading plan, and all that is, is your scripture, your observation, which you jot down, the application, how you, it applies to your life, and then prayer, Father, how can I do this, or help me to walk this out in my life. And so if you are reading the Word of God, can I encourage you, you may not be a journaler. I'm not really a big journaler in that technical sense. But another way that you journal, which I've done for many, many years, is you underline Scripture in your Bible. You don't have to write it out if you don't want to. You know, if you look in my Bible, I've got yellow all over. I've got pencil markings and scribblings on the side. That's the same thing. Why do I do that? So that when I read the Bible the next day, before I start a new reading, I can go back to what I read and just kind of highlight some of those scriptures of what the Lord has said to me, or I may want to memorize those scriptures as well. 
So you need to have a practice where you actually reflect on the Word of God and find a way to live it out. That's how you become a true Christian. Or what Paul says in Corinthians, you become a living message for everyone to read. And you might be thinking, well, pastor, I, I just can't understand the Bible. I mean, I don't know, you know what to read. I just, I, just, I just don't get it. I don't understand the Bible. I don't want to sound unkind. But friends, what you need to understand is that that is a lie from the powers of darkness to keep you enslaved. That is a lie from the devil to keep you choosing always the wrong options, the wrong choices. As Scripture says, there's always a way that seems right to man, but the end leads to death. It leads to dysfunction. It doesn't work. If you're going to find that one answer in that situation, and it might be the simplest of things. Friends, as parents, hear me. There are things that we just let our kids do. There are things that we, messages that we send to our children by, by what kind of priority God has in their life or church or whatever, especially sports season. You know, we just send these messages. We wonder why kids walk away from the Lord when they hit university. What happened? What happened? What happened? It's in those little decisions as you are in the Word, the Holy Spirit will check you. I'm not talking about some legalistic list from the church of what you can and cannot do. But as parents, the Holy Spirit will show you through His Word where something might seem innocent, but the Lord says, no, this is a snare. It seems innocuous right now. It doesn't make a big deal right now. But listen, by my Word, this is the enemy working. Nip this in the bud now. Whatever, whatever area it may be, it may be financial, little decisions, little decisions. No big deal. And the Holy Spirit is saying, and some of you know this, the Holy Spirit is saying while you're standing there in cash, it's only $25 every two weeks. The Holy Spirit is saying, no, you don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. It's a snare. It's a snare. It's a snare. You see, there's a hundred of different ways you can make a decision, but the Lord will show you the truth. If you walk with him, he'll keep you from always making wrong choices. Faith comes from hearing and believing and applying God's word. And here is God's word to you. Will you read it with me? 1 John chapter 2. You have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. We can glean truth from one another. In Bible study, hopefully when you come on a Sunday morning, there's truth that you receive that encourages you. But you know my greatest compliment as a preacher? My greatest compliment is not for somebody to say to me after a service, Pastor, that was a great word. That, that really pierced my heart. That was just a great word. Now, don't get me wrong. That's encouraging. You know, don't, you're not going to offend me if you say that. That's encouraging. But that's not what excites me. What really excites me after a Sunday morning service is when somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor, that word this morning was amazing. Because that's the same word God has been speaking to me through this week. That's what excites me. That's what excites me. I say, thank you. Why? Because number one is a confirmation to my spirit that we're on track with what God wants to say to us. But number two, it means that you are in the word yourself. And if you are in the word of God and the word of God is in you, you are going to be effective in the kingdom wherever you go. But friends, if all you're getting is just from me, as much as you may be encouraged on a Sunday morning, you are going to forget about it. 
You're going to forget what you hear. You might grab a little nugget, but it's not really going to change your life. Good intentions will never give you the life God wants for you. Only intentional living, and intentional living for the child of God is learning how to receive from God and respond. Receive from God and respond. God's word is alive and working and is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us. I love the way the comedian mentioned this. He described it this way. He said, a wave of endorphins and pleasure and meaning wash over you. And what? And you feel something. You feel something. What do you feel as a child of God when you learn to get into the word for yourself? That feeling of endorphins. I get it, not just because I'm a preacher. I was reading the word this morning in my devotions. You say, well, you're preaching today. You don't need to do devotions. Yes, I do. I need a word for me from the Lord. And sometimes that word becomes a word for you. Oftentimes it does. But I still need a word for what God's doing in my life, what he wants to say to me. And when you get that nugget, when the Holy Spirit speaks something to you, I feel that same way, not all the time. Sometimes it's just a simple thought. Well, that's a neat thought. I'll jot that down. Sometimes the word just hits you between the eyes. And like he says, it's like these endorphins, this pleasure, this sense of meaning washes over you. And you feel something. What are you feeling? You're feeling the living word of God come alive to you. You're feeling the Holy Spirit teach you. You're feeling what firsthand revelation actually feels like. And you're beginning to understand that's how you recognize and overthrow the works of the devil. You see, the Bible says that we are to share one another's burdens and in so doing fulfill the law of Christ. We're not going to do it to everybody all the time. We all have a circle of friends, people that will pick us up, that will care for us, that will encourage us. We are to share one another's burdens. But the Bible also says there are times when you have to carry your own burdens. There are times in your walk with God, it doesn't matter how many people you have around you, how many are praying for you, you've just got to get down on the old prayer bones and you've got to work things out with God. It's between you and Him. You've got to pray. You've got to fast. You've got to choose to worship. You've got to choose to walk in obedience. Both are necessary in our walk with the Lord. But most importantly, when you get into the Word of God, that's how you find freedom from meaninglessness as a child of God, and you actually begin to feel something. Jesus loving you. Jesus showing himself to you. If you're here this morning, and you can honestly say, Pastor, I know what you're talking about. I know, but I don't know. And what I know feels a whole lot like not knowing. And that's why statistically, a lot of actions of professing believers are no different from those who don't know Christ. Because neither one really knows him. But we are called to know him. We're given the amazing privilege to know him. I just want to close with this. What's the action plan? What's the action plan to live on purpose? If I can give you one bit of homework for this week, it would be to ruthlessly, ruthlessly identify and eliminate distractions, things that lead you away from intimacy with God. We all know the story of Mary and Martha, right? Jesus comes to their home. Martha's so busy. What did Jesus say? Because Martha got really upset. Can you imagine the silliness of this? We, we shared this a few weeks ago. But can you imagine actually coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, can you tell this person to stop worshiping you? I got work to do. Doesn't make any, that's how ludicrous we are when we're distracted. 
That's why we come to the Lord in our distraction and say, God, if you love me, you do this, or God, do this. We're just talking to the distracted heart. And God says, you don't know what you're talking about. You're, you're just busy. You're confused. That's not the answer. Come away and be quiet. In quietness, in solitude, you will find confidence in your strength. Spend time with the Lord. Get into his word. Jesus said, Mary chose the one thing that is important. Friends, if you will get into the word of God, away from the distractions, and choose that one thing that is important, I promise you, it will never be taken away from you because what you know will be what you know and it won't be from somebody else. It's yours. And it becomes life-giving. Jesus said this. I'm going to ask Pastor Christian to join me. Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, the kingdom of God is like someone who plants seed in the ground. Listen to this. Night and day, Read with me, whether the person is asleep or awake, the seed still grows, but the person does not know how it grows. The reason you need to be in the Word every single day is because of the residual power of God's Word. There are times you will read the Bible and it seems like nothing special. Stories I've read before, nothing really stands out. There will be times something will hit between the eyes and it's just life-changing for that day. What I have found in my years of walking with the Lord, the real power of God's word is the residual effect it has by just watering my soul on a daily basis. It's just there. And I had this happen even, it was just, it was just I think just around Christmas time or whatever, during there, I was just in prayer one day or just doing something, and I noticed all of a sudden that a certain thing just wasn't part of my life anymore. A certain struggle wasn't there, a certain issue, sin, stronghold, whatever, it was just kind of gone. And I don't remember addressing it specifically. It's just kind of something that was hanging on. But that day, I just felt a freedom from it. And I just felt the Holy Spirit just remind me, that's just the power of the Word in your life. That's just the residual value of just the dew every morning, the raindrops every day. There's stuff growing and happening in your spirit when you're awake and when you're asleep because the Word of God is alive. And it's working in your life. You don't always have to understand everything. The entrance of your word gives life. That's the promise of God's word. It gives life and light. Get the word of God in you. Get into the word of God. And you'll see a freedom begin to increase in your life. I'm going to close with a video. About a minute and a half. You may have seen it. I don't know. But uh, before we close in the song, this is my prayer. If I had a prayer for us here at Glad Tidings, it would simply be that what you see in this video, the reaction you see in this video, would be us. That God would do something in us that we would have this kind of love for his word and for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Just, just watch this for a second.
something that brings joy to God's heart. When he gives his love letter to his people, and I just love his word. Lord, I love your word. I love the truth of it. Amen. I love that it reveals you to me, that I can know you through your word. And the greatest miracle of all, I can actually become the living word. I can become an epistle, a letter read by all men as the word of God grows in me in the presence of Jesus Christ and the person of Christ. I want to challenge us this morning for 2017. We're talking about living on purpose. If you're honest enough to say, Lord, if I'm really honest with you this morning, I'd have to acknowledge that a lot of my Christian lifestyle is just behavioral modification. It's not real change. It's not real transformation by the power of your word. Your word is not part of my life. You may even be so bold as to say, Lord, if I don't have a hunger for your word, am I actually your child? Am I actually really saved? I, I believe this stuff, but I just feel like I'm numb. I know, but my knowing's like not knowing. Doesn't change me, doesn't change anything around me. I just live a good life, but I'm no different really than a lot of other people who live wholesome lives other than I profess to know Jesus. I just want us to think about that for a moment. Will you bow your head? Before we conclude our service, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today, and you might say, Paul, I don't know, I don't read God's word, but I don't know Jesus. You may be visiting for the first time. It doesn't matter what church you go to, but you have never opened your heart to Jesus Christ and said, God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Cleanse me. I want to be your child. I want to walk with you. You don't know what it is for God's word to direct you and to clean you up and to be a powerful force in your life. But you're here this morning. You would say, I sense the presence of the Lord. And I want to know him. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I don't want to be religious, but I want to know God. And it's going to be very quick here this morning. Nobody's looking around, but just lift your hand if that's you. I just want to give you the opportunity. If you'd say, I've never opened my heart to Jesus Christ in a way that really lines up with his word, accept him for who he is as my Savior and Lord. But I want to this morning. Is there anybody at all? Just get my attention. Raise your hand. Get my attention. Say, that's me. Yes, God bless you. Is there anybody? Just don't want to miss the opportunity this morning. I'm going to ask Pastor Kristen to just lead us in the song, and as he does, would you remain bowed before we leave? And I want to ask you to do serious business with the Lord. I want to ask you to get serious about God and say, Lord, I'm not reading your word, but I need to. Will you help me to read your word? Give me a hunger for your word. Or you might say, you know what? I'm living in a way right now. I'm making decisions that are satisfying to me, but I know they're wrong decisions. It's not what your word says. Lord, I want your word to enter my life. I want you to do what only you can do. I want you to reverse the curse. I want you to break strongholds. I want you to give me love that I don't have. I want you to give me forgiveness I don't have. I want, whatever it may be in your heart, Lord, let your word change me. I'm tired of hearing it. I'm tired of being stirred but never changed. I want a miracle. I want to see the power of your word at work in my life, in my home, wherever it may be, Jesus. Come by the power of your word. Come into me. Give me hope I don't have. Give me faith I don't have. Bring healing, Lord, that I need. Whatever it may be, Lord, I'm so tired of my knowing and not knowing being the same. I want to know you, and I want to know the power of your life in me. Just bow our heads and just do some business with the Holy Spirit this morning before we leave. Will you do that?